Thank you for listening to the Australian Anesthesia Podcast. I'm Dr. Susie New from the Australian Society of Anesthetists, otherwise known as the ASA, and this is where we talk about all things relevant to anesthesia in Australia. Can I still say welcome to 2023? I think this episode podcast is coming out in February. All right, I'm going to say that. Welcome to our first meaty podcast for the year. And what better way to kick it off than by talking about COVID? Because I still think there's a pandemic going on out there and we should be taking measures to protect ourselves, our families, and of course, our patients. And I'm not the only one. In this episode, I'm speaking with Leo Lamb, who has a PhD in mathematical modelling. Dr. Lamb, amongst many other things, is an anaesthesia researcher based in Seattle. Now, I suspect we could have talked for hours about compartment modelling and total intravenous anaesthesia, but in this episode, I wanted to pick his brains as a scientist and engineer on N95 respirators and surgical masks, as well as how Seattle has handled the pandemic. When I look back on the first episodes of this podcast, which can be found on the ASA website, by the way, There we were at the start of 2020, learning about respiratory protection, what an N95 respirator was, what fit testing involved like we'd never heard about it before. So I can't help but appreciate how much we learned in such a short space of time. So in honor of everything that we've learned, let's revisit N95s and see what else there is to know about them with Dr. Leo Lan. Thanks for spending some time. And tell me, I'm curious because you're an anesthesia researcher. So what's your background and what's your research? So my background is in electrical engineering, but I do a lot of medical devices and I own a medical software company. So that's my connection with medicine and the anesthesia is we are developing technologies for the next generations of anesthesia pumps in OR. Oh, so all our Tiva pumps and things like that. Yeah, we are trying to reduce the already very low error rate. And you see that you've also got a PhD in mathematical modeling. Yeah, this is the weird thing. My electrical engineering PhD is in mathematical modeling of electrochemical reactions. I see. So that's why you know so much about electronics, about our anesthesia, algorithms for the medications that we use. Right. All those compartment modeling systems and things like that. Yeah, and also how it's delivered in the OR. So I spend a lot of time watching anesthesiologists work and see how we can make it better. And so what has been your interest in N95 masks, or I should say respirators? How did that come about? I think everyone got impacted by COVID a lot. And Seattle happened to be the first city in the United States got affected by COVID. The first case happened about 20 miles north of me right now in the whole United States. We were also, I think, one of the very first states to shut down. And being a scientist, engineer, I have always wanted to make sure we would protect ourselves and the family. I already worked in semiconductor clean rooms before, so that was one of my previous specialty was in semiconductor manufacturing. And because of that, I worked in clean rooms and we always had to gown up, we call it the monkey suits, because we we need to protect the devices from us. (laughs) So when COVID hit, it reminded me of all those times. All the PPE, yeah. All the PPEs, but the only difference is in a semiconductor clean room, you're protecting the product from you, not you from the product. Yeah, with a mask, it goes both ways. And it's been a while for me. So just remind me, where do we use semiconductors? Oh, semiconductors are in absolutely everything. Your cell phone, your computers, 
down to your washing machine, there's always a semiconductor chip in there. Transistors are the basic building blocks of all these chips, and the chips will have billions of transistors inside. So they're everywhere. Just remind me, what do transistors do? This is like a year 12 physics lesson. Yeah, no, transistors are basically an on-off switch that you can use electronically to allow or disallow voltage to pass through. And you can use that as a digital gate. You can use that as an analog device, like in your powered speakers, the amplifier that run your speakers, those you're using them in an analog way. But in all the digital applications, you're using them as a gate and on and off switch, one and zeros. Why do they need to be protected from us? Why was there that need for the equipment? So when you are making semiconductors, you start off with a silicon wafer or other substrates. There are other semiconductor substrates as well. But let's say we start off with a silicon wafer and then you do something called photolithography, which is drawing tiny little lines on the silicon wafer down to a few nanometers, tens of nanometers these days. And if you imagine that one piece of our hair is a few tens of microns thick, if you drop one piece of hair somehow onto the surface of a silicon wafer, you are destroying gazillions transistors. Wow. So by photolithography, we actually means drawing shadows on the wafer. And because these lines are so fine, you cannot have dust, you cannot have our perspiration, tiny little particles down to a few microns that can drop on it. You can kill a chip. Wow, that's fascinating. And so that's why you needed the full monkey suit, as you said. That is correct. Yeah. What was that like? What did your monkey suit consist of? Oh, monkey suits would consist of top to bottom containment. You would have to wear a mask, face shields. And it also depends on the grade of clean room you're walking into. There are different levels of clean rooms. And in comparison, an OR is not even clean. Not even remotely. Wow. Because, for example, a person walk into a room automatically generate half a million pieces of particles. And in a clean room, for every cubic meter, there could be only 100 to 10 or 1, depends on the class of the clean room, piece of particles. Is there negative air pressures yep. in order to achieve that? And laminar flows and all of those things are taken into account? Yeah. So when I was managing a clean room at the University of Washington, we had a class 100 clean room. And that's already considered roughly clean. It's not super clean. Intel is running class one clean room. And class one is presumably some measure of the number of particles per cubic. Yes. One piece of particle under two microns in size in one cubic meter of space. So with a class one clean room, you actually have floors that go right through. You don't have solid floors. So the laminar flow go through your floor, goes from the top, draw it through your feet, and into the ground underneath. Wow. So for each floor of classroom clean room, you need three floors of floor space. So when you're going in there, are you wearing a respirator or a regular, what we'd call a surgical or a medical face mask? So for class 100, a face mask will do. But generally, even that, we try to fit an N95 if we are doing something more critical. But generally, a face mask will do because surgical masks are already very good with blocking about two microns size particles from your perspiration. And then you wear your full gown top to bottom 
Very much like the PPE during the height of COVID that covers mm. top to bottom, and then you wear goggles anywhere that your body, especially around the hair, face area, you touch your face, you generate 50,000 pieces of dust. It's measurable. We never went in Australia, not as far as my experience, we, we never went to those full body Tyvek suit, mm. but I'd imagine like the pictures that we saw coming out of Wuhan and out of Italy, the healthcare workers there were in those full body Tyvek suits. So I'm imagining mm -hmm. that's what you mean by a gown rather than a surgical gown. Absolutely. So they are still doing it in China. They're still doing full body gown. In many cases, that could be a bit of an overkill, but they would prefer to be more safe than sorry. Because, you know, uh, COVID is airborne. Exactly. And when going into a level one clean room, how long would it take you to put on that protective equipment? So for specifically for class one, the rule is you don't go in there. <laughs> oh, right. Most of the time in the class one clean room is an automated machine that is doing some processing. The machines are safer than you are to the products. Really? We're too dirty. Yeah, we're too dirty. And so most of the time, if you go into a class one clean room, it's for maintenance of those machines. Ah, and okay. you cover top and bottom, you gloved up. Yeah, you basically prevent yourself from shedding anything to the machine. And would they presumably have a minimum air exchange rate? Oh, the numbers are astronomical. They could be 100 exchange in one minute. Really? So our mm -hmm. hospital grade six air exchanges an hour is really... It's nothing. It's really interesting. It's all about money because <laughs> the wafers, after a few processes done on them, the wafer is worth millions of dollars because they're going to get cut up into small pieces into the chips that you and I will use. Absolutely. You can, I can't imagine hospitals around the country putting in these measures. It would be an overkill because mm. we humans can deal with dust. Yes, exactly. Not so much the coronavirus, but we're doing Correct. better with dust. Absolutely. Yeah, so I presume putting on all of that protective equipment, it's not personal because it's protecting the equipment, would take quite a while and you'd have systems for... We would call them a PPE buddy, someone to double check. Yes, always. You go from top to bottom and you make sure that every piece, that all the buttons are buttoned up, you don't show much skin, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but it's a lot looser for class 100 and class 1000 clean rooms. Yeah, it's fascinating because things like PPE buddies and all of this being meticulous with putting on our PPE and from our end more so taking off our PPE, mm -hmm. this is all re relatively new to us in healthcare. Mm -hmm. How long have these measures been around in your industry? In semiconductors, it's been done since the beginning. Whenever integrated circuits need to be made, that has to be observed. It's not new. It's been going for 50, 60 years. Wow, since the beginning of computers, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just catching up with the process now in healthcare. <laughs> you guys need to be protected. That's true. Moving on, I want to ask, how are things going with COVID in Seattle? Seattle is one of the best performing cities in the United States. We are also one of the most educated cities in the United States. So we have very high vaccine uptake. Certain parts of Seattle reach over 90% vaccination. Fantastic. I presume that's for more than one dose. That's for two or three doses. Oh, yeah. So in the States right now, they have updated the definition of what is meant by fully vaccinated. So two doses are no longer considered fully vaccinated. I think right now is three. Yes. But we are now up to the fifth booster, which is the bivalent Pfizer and Moderna bivalent booster. 
Great. So is that routinely recommended for people to get the bivalent booster now in the US? It's routinely recommended, yes, because our CDC has been loosening the mass restrictions a lot and they are counting very much on the vaccination to deal with the pandemic. That worries me because I think we are also following the footsteps in terms of relying on vaccination, but we haven't yet recommended the bivalent booster. It worries me too. Fortunately, we have the bivalent booster But for example, in Seattle, people here still mask. But then you may have heard that in many parts of America, they are really against mask mandates. And in fact, there is no mask mandates in Seattle either, except for in healthcare environments. But people still mask. That's fantastic. Yeah, we are following Asia's footsteps. I was just recently in Asia, and when I went through immigration, each immigration officer had their own air purifier at their desk. Absolutely. It looks great to me, and it explains why their cumulative death per capita is so far below America. The United States, in terms of COVID death per capita, we are a dumpster fire. We are the 13th worst in the world. Yeah out of 190-something countries. And probably the highest of the OECD nations. Absolutely, yeah, by a long shot. Oh dear. So there's no mask mandate. And are the community generally going around in surgical masks, cloth masks, N95 respirators? Is there much of an understanding there between the different quality of masks? I think the understanding is there that N95 is the best. We are really following Asia footstep here. There are a lot of people who donned the KF94, which mm. is the Korean version of mm. the N95. It gives you a little bit more space at the mouth area. Some people wear the 3M Aura. Wow, good mask. Yeah, which is an N95. It's quite expensive. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, I think it retails for about 2 to $3 a piece. But people would at least wear a surgical mask. Very few people wear a cloth mask, although all of the masks are better than nothing. Correct. I wanted to go through your thread. My summary of it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that when we're looking at doing randomized control trials on N95s versus surgical masks, we're looking at the wrong study design, that N95s are physical device. And so that we should be studying them like we study other physical devices. Is that a summary of your thread? That's pretty accurate. And my goal for writing that thread was to let medical professionals be aware that in the physical science world, we use observable phenomenon as the gold standard. That is actually the most direct way of testing anything at all. Randomized control trials are very useful for medications and some medical devices because the effect of the medication cannot be observed directly, as in you can't follow the pill as it disintegrates, as it starts turning into small molecules and interact with cells and membranes, etc. You can't observe that. You can only observe the secondary effect of the intervention. But with physical interventions like parachutes, seat belts, you don't need the randomized control trials because actually doing that would be absolutely unethical, right? And face masks should be the same because it is a physical device that is experimentable and measurable by existing sensors and particle generators. Someone put it to me recently that humans are the definition of a chaotic system. (laughs) It's, It's quite right, yes. 
I'm speaking to someone who's got a PhD in mathematics, so please do enlighten me on this. But they said then, because we're giving medications, for example, to humans, which are a chaotic system, that's why you have to do things like randomized control trials. Yeah, absolutely. Randomized control trials has its place. It's the best mechanism to observe a secondary effect instead of a direct observation. So RCTs are extremely valuable. I have done RCTs for medical devices before. It is the gold standard for secondary observation. And so we can measure, as you said before, the direct physical properties of an N95 or a surgical mask or other type of protective device. Some people, and you mentioned this in your thread, say that this laboratory testing doesn't equate to real world results. So what do you say about that? Oh, that's very simple. What would they say about seatbelt testing? Do you sit someone in a car and crash it to check the seatbelts? You don't. You simulate it as well as you can. And if you look at the setup, like NIOSH, the American Standard Authority, how they set up the test, it's as close to a real-life situation as possible. And even if it's not exactly super real-life, you can't simulate all real-life situations. So you standardize certain sets of variables, use that as a measurement to get the data for relative safety of the face mask. If you're using one standard for N95, you use the same standard for a surgical face mask, you measure the same thing, you get the relative difference between their efficacy. Strictly speaking, in physical measurements, there are limits, but the limits are not going to generate enough error that a randomized control trials would generate. I wanted to come back to what you said about the N95s. They're quite expensive, but you are seeing them in the community, which is good. And there's been a little bit of work on reusing them. Is that based on physical observation data? Yeah. So this is interesting because of the fact that we can measure these masks directly some faculty at the University of North Carolina and EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency in the States, have done experiments on soiled face masks that have been reused, and it still shows great efficacy after multiple uses. So in a way that this gives you a very quick answer on whether one, reuse to save resources, or two, reshint, and the answer is you can reuse it. So there was a recent paper from McMaster. It was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine on the 29th of November. Compare N95 versus surgical masks in healthcare workers in four different countries. Have you had an opportunity to look at that paper? I did. And what are your thoughts on it? It's had a lot of commentary recently in the medical press. Yes, and I made a lot of commentaries on Twitter because of my understanding of the physical science of face mask, number one, that study is pretty poorly designed in the sense that they kept changing the protocols of how they measure stuff from when they started to the end. It's different endpoints, different way of measuring it. Another problem is that it it lacks equipoise. Mm. There is no uncertainty of whether the mask is useful or not. So you really shouldn't have even done that study. Number three is that there's no way to randomize a mask. Everybody that wears the mask know whether they are wearing a mask or not. They might change behavior because they are not wearing a mask. They might change behavior if they know they're wearing an N95. 
you never know. And those ad confounders to a study that is supposed to measure two narrowly defined variables, the N95 or the surgical mask. And another thing is you can't really build a real control for a randomized controlled study in the control arm for a mask. What is the control of a mask? It would be a mask that doesn't work or a no mask, mm -hmm. right? Either way, it's unethical. <laughs> unethical, absolutely, yes. So for those people who scream and yell randomized control study for mask, I encourage them to write a protocol that they would accept and that would pass an IRB for ethical reasons mm. because it can't be done. Exactly, because as you said earlier, it's a physical device Yep. and we can do the direct measurements right. rather than looking at these population-based so-called randomized trials. Yeah, because it's not randomized nor controlled. No. And so they can call it whatever they want, but it is neither R or C's. Yes. And since it's neither R or C's, there's no T. It's fascinating. When I went through it, the group that were in the mask group, the surgical, or as they call it in the paper, the medical mask group, right. they could wear an N95 at any time that they wanted to if they were doing a high-risk procedure. Exactly. And that was the point where you should be most protected. That is the test event where the N95 or a surgical mask would be most useful because the end point for that study was infection. Mm. And if you can use an N95 during riskier procedures, what's the point? Yes, exactly. And they also studied it. If you look at the dates, Canada was the first group where the trial was launched, and that was in May in 2020. Egypt was the last country to be included in the study, and they were collecting data over January, February, March 2022. So we've got this massive almost two-year time frame of study. And as we all know, there's been multiple variants and multiple waves. Exactly. So we're not even studying the same same particle, if you like, to put it in physical sense. Exactly. Yeah. And the transmissibility between Omicron and Delta are so different. Yep. As well as obviously the baseline difference in the subjects in terms of vaccination being rolled out. Yep. And then I think the Canadian group had very low seropositivity at the start because thankfully at that time, many people weren't getting infected. But then in the Pakistan and the Egypt group, these were the later countries, they had 80% seropositivity. So 80% of the healthcare workers had already been infected. Exactly. So again, that will change possibly their immunity and their ability to get infected, depending on how recent their infection and their vaccinations were and so forth. And that's why that study, I would say everyone should take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, because if you were going to design a study looking at N95s and surgical masks, you would do what you suggested before. It's physical data in controlled situations. Right. And it's already done. Those are already done in the States, in Japan. They all get reproducible results. The numbers are very similar. In my health service, we are wearing N95s routinely, fit tested, which is good. With this more recent wave that we've just had here in Victoria, we've introduced N95s for all our visitors, which obviously won't be fit tested. If resourcing wasn't a constraint, would you prefer to see N95s in the community whilst there is waves of coronavirus of COVID circulating? I would. My guess, and quite a few people have posited the fact that if people really mask up for two or three months, the pandemic could be over. Oh, interesting. There are people who think that's the case because you N95 being 90-something percent effective with a close-range transmission, 
in a more public setting, if you're outdoor, N95 is effectively 100% safe for you to wear, and N95 would be 100% effective for coronavirus transmission, right? Mm. So if you can stop the transmission, nip in the bud from the source, especially put it on the wearer who is sick, is extremely effective at curbing the community transmission. You may be able to get the community transmission down to very little. And that's roughly how people are guessing why SARS-1 disappeared, because SARS-1 mysteriously was gone mm. after it was raging for a while, right? So I've heard a few theories like that, that if, the, if we all locked down... Mm-hmm. for a week, then we could probably stop coronavirus because it would have no one else to spread to. And that's another one that I suppose if the whole world could wear in 95 for two or three months, we could probably get mm-hmm. rid of coronavirus. Interesting. How do you think masks compare with ventilation? Say if you went to a shopping mall that had fantastic HEPA filtration, airflow studies and things like that versus having everyone in that same shopping mall in N95s, but not as much done for air quality. My thought is that we need both. And the reason I think we need both is because large buildings ventilation system can help remove the virus particles in the air in a macro scale. So the air would move through the whole building carrying the viral particle and get filtered by the HEPA filters. But if you're close to somebody the mask is going to do the job of doing that filtering for you instead of waiting for the air to clear up by the macro scale HEPA filters. I think we need both. It shouldn't be an either or. And I noticed that CO2 meters have been selling very well on Amazon. Mm. So people have been watching whether they are in well-ventilated area by CO2 measurements as a proxy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I've got to admit, I carry a personal CO2 meter and a personal HEPA filter around. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> and touch wood, so far, tra- I've travelled to two different continents and multiple domestic trips on flights, and I haven't had any travel-acquired COVID so far. That's fortunate, yeah. And we are going to hop on the plane in two months as well, and it took me and my wife three days to decide whether we would go or not. Mm, Good luck. Good luck. And I've done a trip to Europe and had the 14-hour flight and slept in my Mm -hmm. N95 quite comfortably for that flight. So I'm lucky I don't get any side effects from wearing an N95. And I'm sure you'll take all similar precautions. I hope you also have good luck with your travel. Yeah, we have the Aura mask going and each one of us would have our personal HEPA filters that, that can pluck into the plane and we'll do all we can and we probably won't eat on the plane. Yeah, I know a lot of people won't eat as well. Are you fit yeah. tested? Did you have to do that as part of your professional when you were wearing N95s? No, we fit tested by size only. We didn't really do much more than that. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about N95s, about the way we're approaching our thinking about them or about the pandemic in general? I think we covered just about everything that I would say is the fact that it's directly measurable. Any other requests on RCTs are pretty much moot at this point because we know they work. And my thinking is that those who are still against masking are not based on scientific facts, but on ideologies. And I think lives are worth saving. Good points. And follow the science and lives are important. Right. Lives are worth saving. Yes. Exactly. Thank you very much for your time. It's been lovely meeting you, lovely chatting with you. Lovely meeting you too. 
Well, I want to thank Dr. Lamb for his insightful comments. You don't get to hear some of the chat that I have with people before and after the podcast, but it was such a fascinating conversation and I really enjoyed getting to know him. As you are listening, I hope you are all furiously nodding in agreement that COVID is airborne. I am completely humbled learning that many workplaces in other industries outside of healthcare have been practicing respiratory protection with measures such as masks, high air exchanges, air filtration and having PPE buddies long before we even heard about it or were doing it routinely in health. With the ongoing nosocomial COVID infection rates, that's people, patients or visitors coming to hospitals and catching COVID from another person in hospital, I think we still have some room for improvement. The ongoing public health advice is to get vaccinated, wear a face mask if you're indoors or in a crowded outdoor setting, improve ventilation in your home and I would add wherever else you can, get tested if you are sick and by all means, don't come to work if you are unwell. I suggest stay home and listen to more podcasts. All right, with that, welcome to 2023. I hope it's a year that we all stay safe and well and thank you again for coming on this journey with me. Thank you for listening to the Australian Anesthesia Podcast, which can be found on all the major podcast hosting platforms, as well as YouTube. This podcast is produced by the Australian Society of Anesthetists and hosted by Dr. Susie New with music created by Dr. Mark Seuss. The ASA was formed in 1934, and our vision is for every anaesthetist in Australia to be at their best, providing the highest quality anaesthesia and perioperative care through excellent technical and non-technical skills. We also hope that this means that you are functioning at your best when you're away from work. In this podcast, we have conversations that seek to inform, challenge, and inspire you to keep you performing at your best. Members of the ASA can access full versions of all episodes by logging into the ASA website at asa.org.au. If you are listening on your favorite podcast app, then make sure you look at the episode notes for the direct link to the podcast on the ASA website. Also, feel free to follow or subscribe so that you can receive the latest episodes as we do publish regularly. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to email us on podcast at asa.org.au. Thank you for your time and we hope you enjoyed listening.